Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is The Odd Man. Greetings and salutations, I'm Audley Stevenson, and thank you for tuning into the most audacious podcast you'll ever find on the internet. Take my word for it, hands down, this is it, the Audacious of Podcast, and I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and joining us as we continue our ongoing goal of helping you live your best audacious life ever. As always, I would encourage you to uh, connect with us through our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle The Audacious Pod. And then, of course, we're on Facebook. Uh, simply click, type in The Audacious Living Podcast and uh, you can be a part of that community as well. And then finally, if you are watching on YouTube, then you know that all you got to do to subscribe to our channel is tap that notification bell down below and you are all set. Uh, so, you know, again, please like, follow, subscribe, share, and tell a friend uh, that there's nothing but good old audacious stuff uh, that's going on here on the podcast. Now, I'm joined uh, by J.J. French of the iconic rock group Twisted Sister and so pleased to have him uh, be a part of the episode. Uh, you know, songs like We're Not Gonna Take and I Wanna Rock uh, certainly are a couple of their big hits. And uh, J.J. was a founding member of the group. Uh, he was one of the lead guitarists and he eventually became the business manager for the group. And, and that's where he learned some really important life lessons that he shares with audiences now as a motivational speaker. Uh, he actually created a business theory uh, that he has dubbed the Twisted Method. Uh, twisted standing for tenacity, wisdom, inspiration, stability, trust, excellence, and discipline. Uh, these really important lessons have served JJ so well, and he further explains them in his new book, Twisted business and and that's where he details sort of the behind the scenes of of a rock and roll band as well as his own personal story and that's why he dubs uh this book his bizwar uh because it's a mix of business and his personal memoirs uh, you know if you're you're a twisted sister fan or even mildly familiar with the music you're going to be so intrigued uh by this interview JJ is a gifted storyteller and uh, he really has a way to keep you hanging and tell some great stories too. And then even if you're, you're not familiar with the group, I think the insights are, insights are really memorable and you know, there's lots of good stuff to learn from. Um, you know, speaking of good stuff, I think I've done a pretty good job, a, a decent job setting the table up uh, for JJ in our interview. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with JJ French of Twisted Sister. Enjoy. Ah, so you're in Toronto. I am, I am. Okay. Born and raised. Born wow. And raised. Wow. So like, in other words, the cold weather hasn't scared the hell out of you. I mean, or it hasn't been that bad the you, last couple you, of years. You just kind of get acclimatized to it and you go, you know, when September rolls around, it's going to get a bit chilly. You know, when December hits, you're toast. 
literally the other way, not literally toast. But. No, no, I got it. Listen, my friends who live in Minneapolis, I don't even understand. I really don't. I was out there doing, we toured once and we were in, no, I, I don't know. My bass player and I were out there for some reason. It was in January and we okay. were on a bus and there were guys wearing flip-flops and shorts. Yeah. No kidding. And yeah. I said, this is another species of nut, man. <laughs> just get it. Yeah, just, it, get, it gets in your DNA and your genes. You just, it's what you know. Forget you it. Know. That's yeah. it. That's it. So listen, JJ, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, this, is, this is really awesome. Um, looking forward to this for a little while, actually. So uh, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's it, uh, it's uh, now. I mean, I, I had a chance to read your book. Absolutely, I thought it was a great job. Um, you know, shout out to you and, and Steve Farber, who uh, uh, your co-author, uh, and he's done a tremendous job in, in helping you along, which is great. Uh, and you know, I I just thought we, I, you know, I don't get into big big long introductions here, JJ. I just want to just get into this and and and, and talk about uh, twisted business lessons from my life in rock and roll. Um, and upon reflection, what, you know, did you ever see yourself writing a book of this magnitude, this bizoir, if you will, uh, about your life in business and rock and roll? You know, it's a really broad, the book is a broad swath. Yeah. Covers a lot of time. And that time that it covers is a time that um, a lot of people are interested in, you know, because it covers the 60s and the turbulence of the 60s. Yeah. And and all that that brings with it. And especially if you're like me, grew up in New York City yep. um, and was confronted with the massive cornucopia of options of everything, political, drugs, rock and roll, you know, all that. It's all got poured into the book. And, and you know, I am an archivist. I kept things. Mm -hmm. And I think I kept things because I always thought it was important to keep them, not necessarily because I needed to express to the world my ability to keep these things but because right. i thought it was important enough that in hist history would show it was important enough and i would show my kids look at my full maurice programs and yeah and you know news clips and and all this other stuff so while it was all happening in real time there was a thing in the back of my mind that said this is a special time gotcha this is a really special time and that people are going to want to know about this time whether through me or yeah. somebody else and you know what i, I was right you know, m much can be said about appreciating the moment because that's exactly what you're doing, right? You're not taking these moments for granted, whether they're interactions with individuals or uh, maybe special performances or or breaks that you got over the course of your career. They're all moments that you take it, that you, you you appreciate what's happening in that time. Yeah, well, while they were happening, uh huh, uh, and you're reacting to whatever it is that was happening you're not realizing at that moment, maybe that they're going to catalog themselves into events that become important as a narrative. Yeah. But then when you reflect on the, on it a, a little later, you know, it becomes more apparent that, Oh my God, you know, like, you know, for example, you know, my bunk mate in, in one of my camps uh, was um, Ben Cheney, the brother of James Cheney, one of the civil rights workers who was killed. Yeah. Now, that's because I was going to a progressive camp where kids from New York City would go and right. Ben Cheney was there. And so we didn't look at that wasn't a um, that wasn't a, a thing of look at this strange guy and what happened to him. This was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we, we, we marched on Washington you know, yeah. against the war two weeks ago uh, or we were down in, in Washington for civil rights marches or whatever. So 
when I say to people, yeah, well, the brother of one of the science civil rights workers was, you know, in my camp, they go, oh, man, that's right. amazing. I said, well, no, he was just a kid my age in camp right. whose right. brother was one of those guys. And we talked about it as a real time experience. So, yes. so, yes, I understand the historical context. At yep. the time, it wasn't historical. Right. At the time, it was just a kid. When I was thrown out of school for violating my, we were handing out an underground newspaper, you know, I, I saw H. Rap Brown and Stokely Carmichael give a speech at Columbia University. I got, you know, it just inflamed me. And I went down to my school and I, and I, and I, we started a demonstration that led to a, a riot, which led to me getting thrown out. I don't think I thought at the time, this is going to be a good story to tell 50 years right. from now. Right. You know, it was just a reaction to the time. I don't think when I was watching Jimi Hendrix from the 10th Row Center at the Fillmore East, and I, and I remember standing up and watching him going, saying to myself, you know, really saying to myself at that moment, because I had seen Jimmy a year before and he was and he was bad. He was at the garden and he was freaked out and on acid. Yeah. Turns out I found out from his producer. He didn't have a good night. And he walked off stage and I thought, well, that can't be the only time I'm going to see the greatest guitar player in the world not be great. Right. So I see him again. I go to the Fillmore to see the famous uh, New Year's Eve shows with Band of Gypsies. And I'm sitting there and I'm, or I'm standing there, 10th row center. I remember looking at him. Mm -hmm. He was only like 40 feet away from me. You know, I'm thinking. Don't, you know, don't forget this because someone's going to ask you about this, right. you know, 50 right. years from now. They're going to go, did you see Jimmy Hendrix? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what was it like? And I will tell you what it was like. Right. Right. You know, so every one of the experiences that I go through in the book that happened to me, yep. they, they didn't just happen to me. It happened to other people. Sure. Whether they wrote about it, cared to write about it, yep. still alive to tell people. I don't know. Right. But I figured at my at this point in my life with all of this crazy stuff that went on, it was time to put it down on paper. Got you, got you. And so that was really the, that was really the impetus for, or the motivation behind getting it all out. And, and, and what's really important in this, JJ, is the fact that it's your perspective. So, and it, so rightfully so, you know, you were the only one watching Jimmy, but you had your perspective. And, and I think it's really important that, that we identify there is importance in your story, my story, and other person's story, because they all matter. So it's still, yeah. it's, it's good that you did that. Yeah, well, people say to me, like, what are the best rock shows you've ever seen? And I can go down a list because I saw just about everybody you can imagine. And right. some were phenomenal and some weren't so good, yep. but I saw them all. You know, I saw them all. It's crazy how many shows, forgetting even the Twisted Sister part of this, which isn't even, we're not even talking about it yet. But the other day I was going through my record collection and mm -hmm. I realized that at least a half a dozen live albums that I have in my collection were shows that I was at, wow. which means that those shows were important enough to make into live albums. Right? Right. That's what that means. Right. It, doesn't, it just means that I happened to be at the right place at the right time where performances yeah. were considered so good Yep, that the yep. artist was going to release them as a live record. So I've been to three yep. Grateful Dead concerts, in which are all on record. I was at those three. I was at many, many of those. Sure. Uh, John Mayall at the Fillmore, when he did his acoustic set, I was there that day. You know, I just was there that night, right? Yep, and I remember yep. that night being special, and yep. it was made into a live album. That's right, when the that's Rolling right. Stones played the Garden in 1969, during the Thanksgiving Day shows, before the, right before the Altamont disaster, I was at all three of those shows. That was made into <laughs> yeah. a live album. Right. When Elvis Presley played the Garden in 1972, I was at the Garden in 1972. When the band played the Academy of Music and, uh, uh, on, for this album that was titled Rock of Ages, I happened to be at that show. So, yeah. you know, after a while, you start to think, 
I was where you needed to be at the time yes. you needed to clearly. be there. Clearly. And clearly I was. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there's proof of it. So that was a story. You know, when the Son of Sam was shooting people all over New York, uh, we were playing in the bars and we were responding to the fact that girls no. didn't want to go to clubs because he was shooting women in parking lots. Right, right. All during a whole year of our existence. You know, people say to me, do you know the son said, well, hell yeah. He affected my ability to make money. He was shooting people and nobody was going out or right. nobody. Right. Girls were afraid. Exactly. When you tie in sociologically important times to your life, yeah. everybody can relate to those. Well, they can either relate to them because they've been through them, yep. lived through them, or they, they know about them. Yep. They want to read about them. Yep. And I was at the right place at the right time for many of those events. And I'm grateful. And, and another point, and we'll get into the twisted story here in a second, but I'm really enjoying this piece because there's a really, uh, the other, I think, significant part of what we're talking about here is oftentimes outside people are the ones that tell us how significant those moments that we were a part of, that we that were there, and not that it wasn't important, you know, so you absolutely, you sure you were enjoying the moment, but not in, in terms of understanding the historical perspective, it's the outside components that go, hey, that was a special night, or that was a special moment. Yeah. In fact, there's an author named Jonathan Taplin who has, uh -huh. who has a book called The Magic Years. Okay. And he's, he, I'm 69 years old. He's 73. He's a professor now, an adjunct professor in California. Mm -hmm. he wrote an astonishing book. And because he's five years older than me, yep. he was not only at most of these events that I was at, but he was working at those events that I was right. at. Right. And I said to him, I, you know, after review, reading his book and interviewing him, you know, like, for example, the band's concert, the Rock of Ages, he produced that show. You know, The Last Waltz, that's one of the most famous rock documentaries in the world. He hired Scorsese to wow. direct that show. Wow. So I said to him, I said, you know, Jonathan, it's interesting to talk to you because I may have been witnessing these great events, but you were producing some of these great <laughs> right. events because you were ahead of the curve by me. Yep. And that, of course, pisses off kids who are younger than me who go, you're so lucky, man, that you got to see this. How many times, I don't know how old you are, but I will tell you that I cannot tell you how many times I'm at a dinner party and people say, you know, what are the best things you ever saw? I said, well, you know, I don't know. I saw the Dead Twins. I saw Zeppelin as an opening band. I saw the Woody Herman Orchestra over for Led Zeppelin. And they're like talking to me like my dad, like when I was a boy, gasoline was 29 cents a gallon. And we had to walk five miles of school in the dark. And I, and I said, you know, I'm sorry that you hate me. <laughs> That's my life. I just, That's my life. I'm sorry they hate me because I saw everything that you wish you could see. You know, someone right. said to me, well, I saw The Who in 1989. I said, well, to tell you the truth, I saw The Who open for Wilson Pickett, which is true. Okay? I saw that. Wilson Pickett headlined the show. Murray the K used to show, 1967. Wilson Pickett, Mitch Ryder, Young Rascals, yeah. Cream and The Who were on the bill, way at the bottom, bottom. of the bill. And it, and it said The Cream. didn't even say Cream. That's mm. how early it was. It was. Yeah. The cream. And I had heard of the cream and I was 14 and the right. who, but I went to see Wilson Pickett, Mitch Ryder and the young rascals because sure. I knew who they were. Yeah. Tickets were three bucks. I mean, yeah. what the hell, you know, yeah. it was in those days, you know, in those days, the rock shows were, you know, the soul reviews that used to exist, the Motown soul reviews soul where they reviews, had okay. the, the whole roster of Motown artists. Yeah. Everybody did two songs or sure. you hit, do your three singles. Get out of here. Four yeah. tops, three yeah. singles, Supremes, three singles, Smokey, yeah. 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 in and out. That's how the rock reviews yes. were. Yes. This was a rock review before bands started to do dedicated concerts. Oh, right. So so he had, Murray the K had Simon and Garfunkel, the Blues Magoos. He had like 10 bands. You couldn't even keep track. Yeah. 
Sure. And the who, so I'm 14 years old and Cream come out. I remember, you know, I remember what they did. They did two songs, NSU and I Feel Free or, and the who did My Generation and I Can't Explain. Anyway, you tell this to people. Yep. You what? What year was that? You <laughs> And then you, you go, I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> I'm my sorry. life. <laughs> it's just my life. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry for living my life. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And I was stoned at the time. And right. I was dealing, yeah. you know, I mean, I was dealing weed at the age of 15, you know, and I'm saying to people, I was ahead of my time. Everybody's dealing weed That's now. Right. That's right. I could have told you 50 years ago. It's going to be you know, you wouldn't listen to me. You know, I think that's a real good transition, JJ, because uh, you, you, you talk about sort of, you know, your, your dealing days and how drugs influenced uh, uh, in your early days. But they, they, it served a real purpose. Like, you know, if, you know, you were dealing because you wanted to get you know, a guitar as an example. Yeah, so it served yeah. a real specific purpose for you. In your yeah. Life. You know, I wanted I wanted to buy guitars, amplifiers and go to rock shows. And my parents didn't have the money to support it. And so I found a way to do it and and be high at the same time. The, the challenge was the money started coming in so big and so fast that there's a part of you that says, oh, maybe I'm just going to be a big drug dealer. Like I'm going to turn into your Pablo Escobar. Like maybe that's my goal. And you had to, and in order for that to not happen, yep. I had to constantly say, earn this much money, spend it on guitars and amps, earn this much money, travel to see rock shows. In other words, if the dream was to quote, make it, then don't lose focus of what the dream is. Now, I know that sounds so outlandish coming from a 16 year old kid who's right. doing a lot of drugs. But, you know, that's exactly how it was. That's why, A, I never got busted because I always kind of kept it okay. small. Yeah. I could have easily gone sure. way bigger, but I didn't want to risk it because all yeah. I wanted was guitars, amplifiers and go yeah. to shows. Yeah. And then secondly, as much of the drugs that I consumed, which was monumentally large, um, I always knew at some point I would have to get out of it. And, sure. and I got out of it, luckily, at the point where, as I detail in the book, a lot of my friends, as the whole scene crumbled, you know, the hippie scene was love and flowers and peace and marijuana and LSD yes. in the beginning. And it sadly morphed into heroin big time right in my scene yeah and you know and so living in new york city of course and as the scene turned um my best friend my girlfriend who by the way was the great granddaughter of robert e lee and i have to tell you the only reason why she dated me because i was a white jew drug dealer from new york she knew that would scare the hell out of her mother and she's and everything has a purpose you know damn well that scared the hell out of her i don't know what was worse <laughs> jew New Yorker or yeah. drug dealer, Definitely. hippie, but I get, I got the whole package, That's right. That's you know? Awesome. So, um, so as, as the whole scene crumbled and then I OD'd on heroin one afternoon, yep. uh, you know, I came so close to, to dying and I kind of, uh, you know, the inner survivalist in me woke up and went time out. Yeah. You have, you have, can I curse on it? Can I, can I, can I, I just said, you with life enough you've had a hell of a run remember i'm 20 at this point yeah or 19 yep. it was 19 i was about to turn 20 yep. you've had a hell of a run you know when are you going to realize that uh it's time to yes move on yep. and 
And I did. And I'm one of the lucky ones because yeah. the people who are still alive who knew me back then would never have guessed that it would have stopped or that I wouldn't have been killed, you know, wrong place, wrong time in a drug deal yep. or just found dead for whatever reason. And uh, and so to do that, I I changed my life completely from a hippie drug dealer. And as I say in the book, I don't know, my mother was was more freaked out about, hey, mom, here's the good news. Uh, I'm no longer doing drugs. However, I am now in the transvestite rock. Band. <laughs> well, there's a career choice. That's a crazy. That's a crazy career choice. And also, you know, that was in the days when it was David Bowie and glam, and it was transvestite rock band. Like, yep. you know, you got yep. you wear women's clothing. Yep. Like yep. the dolls. You know, that's what you did. Yep. I mean, that's not what everybody did. But no, but that was a, it. Was an option. It was. It was an option. Absolutely. And it was it was an option that was viable. Right. Absolutely. Commercially viable option where you could get work as a band like that because enough people were liking David Bowie and Lou Reed and yes. Martha Hoople and and T-Rex, you know, and Slade and all that stuff. Yeah. But the club circuit, which was run essentially. Yeah. But essentially, these are like Italian guys have been around since the 40s who, given their choice, just want Tony Bennett in their clubs. OK. <laughs> and they've had to grudgingly Let go. change. And yeah. then. That, you know, it was bad enough, the hippie scene, like, oh, I got to have a band like the Grateful Dead, the Almond Brothers, it was bad enough. And then you come in with transvestites, oh, what is going on here? Uh, but And they grudgingly had to make the adjustment. Adjustment, yes. Because there was a lot of kids who wanted to see that stuff. Well, so people say it. to me, yeah. was there blowback? No, because that was just another, if you want to see that kind of band, they're playing in that bar. Right, that's right. Tonight, you know, that's all. But Appealing to the there. masses, right? You play the masses. You yeah, if you want to see, if you want to see a band that plays Doors music, go there. Rolling Stones. Yep. If you want to see like David Bowie type band, they're yep. over there. Yep, 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 like yep. So, 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 JJ, let's talk about the the the, the sort of formation of, the, of of Twisted Sister. Certainly, one of the things that is a theme throughout your book, and you talk a lot about, is the reinvention and having to evolve and change and and change. And when you sort of, when you when you sort of document the number of changes that the group itself had gone through, I, I mean that that was a learning for me. I didn't realize it was that been that many. And um, I think one of the themes that you that that was clear is that you're very true to your principles of no dr no drugs and staying clean, which is interesting considering your personal starting point right well you know look let's really start at the beginning i was called through it through a friend of a friend gave my phone number to a guy who called me up and said i got your phone number i got a glitter band the guy sounded like sylvester stallone i got a glitter band its name is silver star we're looking for a guitar player a use in the glitter a use in not are you into glitter? are you using the glitter? like like a song out of the sopranos you know using the glitter I went, yeah. He goes, okay. So I got a band. We live in Jersey. I live in Manhattan. Well, I'll come and pick you. you I'll pick you up. So he comes on. He rings the bell, and 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 uh, I open the door, and there's an African American guy named Mel. And he goes, how you doing? I'm Mel. I'm from Newark. <laughs> I went, okay, fine, great, yeah, beautiful looking guy, like incredible, you know. Because I'm telling you, when he was wearing the wig, I mean like Tina, he was gorgeous, you know, but whatever. So, but he's talking like, you know, like Rocky Balboa, you know, so we're going to you know, rehearse. We love Mata Hoople. And, uh, and then he goes, then he says to me, um, are you a reggae fan? I go, yeah. He goes, you like Bob Marley. And this whole conversation is surreal to begin with. Sure. When he goes, you know, my brother's Bob Marley's guitar player. <laughs> I go, well, Bob Marley just he just replaced his guitar. Bunny Anderson was out with Al and I mean, Bunny Will with Al Anderson. He goes, yeah, that's my brother Al. So the big trivia question is, what does Bob Marley and Twisted Sister have in common? In 1973, two members of both bands were brothers. <laughs> Talk wow. about 
How incongruous is that? Nobody would ever pick that one up. <laughs> ever. That is without, and by the way, Al came down to one of the early shows. He came up on stage and jammed with us. And I said right. to Al, I said, how did you get a gig? You're not Jamaican. You know, the guy's from Newark, New Jersey. He goes, I put on a fake Jamaican accent and got the gig. And I thought, only a hustler, you know what I mean? Only a hustling <laughs> New York guy. I don't care what color it comes in. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he was a great guitar player. Sure. But, you know, he kind of put, he said he kind of put on a fake accent. He goes, I couldn't keep it up much longer. You know, like they hired me because I was a great player. And after a while, you know, they found out I was from Newark, New Jersey. But, you know, it's like... Oh my God, that was the funniest thing in the world. So anyway, funny. so I joined this band, you know, and, and uh, I soon realized that we're playing in bars because that's what you did. And, sure. and there was millions of bars and the drinking age was like basically 18. And so you got right work right away. Yep. But that they drank a lot. And, and uh, one thing I'll say about my drug years was I didn't drink. I, alcohol was never part of the hippie scene in New York in those days. Right. Maybe someone drank a beer, Boone's Farm wine, I think was around okay. cheap, but nobody drank. So I didn't know anything about alcohol. So we get a gig in the Hamptons out in Long Island. Mm -hmm. uh, our first really big gig, we got a gig that lasted three months in one club. And that's crazy. And we lived upstairs. And, yep. You know, and, uh, and it's a bar and it's in the Hamptons and we're 20 years old. And there's girls everywhere, you know, and I remember... I remember saying to Mel, I said, man, we're going to get laid. He goes, man, you're going to get laid because girls like guys that look like girls. Trust me. <laughs> trust me. You know, so me and my singer used to be chained together with dog chains, <laughs> dog collars on, you know, and yeah, that, yeah. that yeah. worked until we got an electric shock one day. We both hit the microphone and then that idea went to hell really quick. But, but, but for real? these guys, for real, oh, yeah, shock? For, for real. Oh, no, 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 no. I thought I lost the ability to have children. <laughs> I got a shock that was so bad. It's funny because I never really told the story. So we're you know, we're singing a, a Bowie song, or whatever. We've got okay. the the dog collars on. We both hit the microphone, touch with our lips, and we weren't grounded. And all of a sudden, this bolt of lightning comes. Ah! Oh my god! You know, and that and we we're like, that was the end of that routine. That, that died a quick death before I died a quick death. <laughs> and I'm sure and, someone's writing a book about what they saw when they saw Twisted Sister perform how they almost got killed on stage, right? <laughs> and that's if any of those kids are around because that's, that's right. almost 50 years ago and the way those kids drank. So anyway, the band drank and I, and I didn't really understand alcohol. Right. I, I really, I know it sounds incredibly weird and naive mm -hmm. because to this day, I have only had six beers in my entire life. And I okay. remember each time I drank it. Beer has never worked with me. And I'm not allergic to food, but for some reason, every time I drank a beer, I got stomach aches. So I've yeah. only had six beers. I know exactly when I'm having. Yep. So anyway, the singer says to me, one, one, one afternoon, we're just hanging out in the bar, the bartender, and he goes, you should learn about drinking. So he says, Mickey, come on, we have set some shot glasses. Show JJ what you got. You know, show, pour him some Jack, some Shivs, Shivis, and Wild Turkey, whatever. Yep. And they, they put out like six or seven shot glasses and so I take them and I go, ugh, tastes like cough medicine. And the next one, ugh, it tastes like worse cough medicine. And the next one, ugh, how do you guys drink? Why do you drink this crap? This is like paint thinner. Like, so I, did, I never liked alcohol. So they're drinking. Yep. I'm not. They're drinking a lot. Yep. I'm not. Yep. They're playing in bars where everyone's drinking a lot. So as their quality of playing would deteriorate, the truth is the fans 
ability to discern deteriorated. So you couldn't really tell if the deterioration of the band um, was hurting us because everybody was drunk. Right. You know, it was as ubiquitous drinking as it was in my scene doing acid, seeing the Grateful Dead. You know, you go see the Grateful Dead in the 60s, everyone's on acid, everyone's smoking dope. That's right. that scene. Right. This is now an alcohol scene. Yes. And um, it was funny in the beginning, like mm -hmm. funny, yep. right? Because the danger of it wasn't affecting anything. It was just right. funny and stupid. Yep. But then, as I detail in the book, the, the, the singer got in a fight with the drummer and he pulled a loaded gun out. Right. In a bar fight, and he was drunk. And not to, not to um, stereotype people, but an Irish alcoholic with a loaded gun may not be the best combination right. of things gotcha. to happen. Gotcha. Now, now, Michael, the singer, and Mel, the drummer who hired me, they were high school friends. They kind of knew each other. Okay. Yeah. Which made it even stranger because I was the newcomer. I didn't know any of these guys. They all had a, a history. Sure. So it was particularly uh, disturbing to see them. But mm -hmm. I walked in to the scene when Michael was holding the gun at Mel. Wow. And I was 22 years old. The band had been together two years. And at that moment, I thought my life is over. I thought I was either going to witness a murder, mm. be a victim of an errant bullet, um, or have to testify. Right. And the whole point is the rock and roll thing was over. Right. And that happened in a flash. Because, you know, these things happen in a flash. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, um, it, it happened like, I, I, should, I can kill you, you know. And yep. he, used the, he used the, I think he used the N-word mm -hmm. to Mel. And these guys knew each other. Right. I think Mel turned around, basically said, you drunk, Mick, you know, go ahead and pull it. Like, you know, obviously they had a history where you could get away with certain racial sure. epithets. Yep, yep. You it. understand what I'm I talking do. about Absolutely. here. That Absolutely. I could never even fathom, but yep. somehow... That's how they communicated. Right. And I'm standing back going, you know, and then he threw the gun down. Gun didn't go off. They got in a fist fight. Band broke up. Right. And that was the first trauma that affected the band and affected me. And I go yes. into the in detail in the book about how that led to uh, depression, deep depression yep. for me. Because yep. it coincided with my mother's death and my girlfriend leaving me all in the same week. Not mm -hmm. a good week. Right. And then I started keeping diaries. Uh why? I don't know. I started keeping, I didn't go to a therapist. I should have. I contemplated suicide. I was so deeply depressed over the girl leaving me and my mother dying. Yes. Um, I entered that black hole of depression and only people who've ever been there will know what I'm talking exactly. about. But yep. I will tell you that if somebody tells you they're in a black hole of depression, don't ever take that lightly. Yeah. That's a scary place to be. Mm -hmm. It is truly a scary place. And I didn't seek professional help in hindsight. Dumb. Because mm -hmm. the pain that I... In uh, the pain I engendered lasted longer than it probably should have had I gone to a therapist mm -hmm. and gotten some sort of right. medication, but I didn't. So I toughed it through. And about yep. eight months after the event, I woke up one day and the pain was gone. And I, and I couldn't believe I wasn't in pain. And I didn't understand it. I said, right. this is a mistake. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be in pain. And I woke up, I wasn't in pain. Right. So I thought to myself, well, maybe depression like that is like a cut on the wrist and eventually heals with time and it kind of does yeah uh, however however it taught me a lesson anytime in the future if i felt like i was going like that i went to a therapist right away and mm. i got some medication right away who wants to be that right who wants to be in a black hole like that? yeah it's tough it's a tough journey to get out of that hole to climb out of that hole i mean yeah. you're not even thinking there's a way out of the hole quite frankly because it's that dark and deep 
A hundred percent. Like it is so dark and deep. You, you don't believe there is a, a way out. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you don't believe there's a way out. And I can't emphasize enough that that was so awesomely affecting my life. And the diary, here's the thing with the diary. And I've mm-hmm. talked about this in the book. Mm-hmm. I detailed my mental state. And then I kept the diary going for 15 years. And the beauty of that diary, among the many tools I discuss in the book for surviving in business, is that I was always able to, when we had tough patches in the future, I was able to go back and read and go, I got out of that. Right. You know, right. I I figured out a way out. Yeah. And so I'll figure out a way because, you know, a lot of times you just face hopeless situations in life and you wonder, am I ever going to get out of it? Right. Right. And people look at rock musicians or star movie stars. They think our lives are like ideal and our lives are just as crappy as anybody else's. You know, we have. Yes, we have. We have something else going on that can bring adulation, which is fake for the most part anyway. Uh, and people, the average person go, isn't that great? They tell you they love you. Thousands of people tell you they love you. And the problem a lot, of course, is that you buy into it. Yes. You know, and people don't understand. You will understand this line. I always say that fame is rented. It's never owned. There you go. You know, Absolutely. it's never owned. You, but young kids think it's forever. And it's, it's so not. stupid. <laughs> it's absolutely. It's like if you are lucky enough to attain it, you have a little window. And maybe if you're lucky, yes. maybe. Yep. You're a Michael Jackson or you're a Prince or you're a Madonna or you're the Beatles. How many of those in the billions of people that have had fame exist? This tiny little crew. And, you know, and, and, and I have to say, um, I learned over the years, I don't care uh, if you have a 40 year history, a career in the entertainment business, you survive. Mm -hmm. I don't care what music you play. I hats off. To you, Absolutely. I know how messed up this business Absolutely. is. Well, so especially all the change the industry goes through, like the industry that we have today, isn't what you started in. No, it's it's no. gone through all kinds of reinventions, if you will. Which is why it led to ultimately um, me doing motivational speaking and writing the book and talking about the twisted method of reinvention. Because yeah. I started telling my stories to guys like you know, to people like you, and just they go, "Well, how did you do it?" And I go, "Well, this happened. This happened." This happened. The more I told the story, the more the narrative peeled out. Yeah. The more I realized that if I wrote a book, the book wasn't just going to be one of these rock and roll memoirs. Right. Right. That's so typical. Right. It had to be something that meant something. Yep. And, and that imparted some wisdom because otherwise there was no point in doing it. And that's why a lot of people don't expect this book to be what it turned out. To. Were you surprised at what it turned out to be? I, I, the, the lessons for me, and let's, and let's talk about the, the, the twisted method because uh, uh, that, that's something that, is, so, so, so I, I always, there's a lesson in everything, right? In every experience that we go through, every circumstance we run into, when we get to the other side, we, you know, when we get that opportunity to kind of, you know, calm ourselves down, if you will, and look back, we can go, oh, wow, okay, that was the lesson, or that was the learnings. And the manner in which uh, you're able to develop a whole method, the twisted method around, you know, these, many of these lessons that you learn. I thought it was phenomenal. And that was a part that really hooked me. And so maybe let's, let's kind of start and just kind of briefly run through that, starting with, with tenacity being the T of twisted. Yeah. So if you take the letters, T-W-I-S-T-E-D, um, uh, people always, in this day and age where everyone has the light, has the attention span of a gnat, <laughs> Except when it comes to Netflix, which we're willing to watch 95 hours of television nonstop. 16 have, seasons of your favorite you know, show. You know, it's really weird. We're either 
we either just want one word or we want war and peace. We don't want anything in between. It's like, it's like, oh, just give me a quick answer. Or can I sit around for four weeks with my wife or my partner, just, you know, binge watching. I'm saying that's a whole other thing. So, um, so everyone likes to distill everything into one word, you know, cause it's so easy. Like, you know, the TV show Veep, you know, or, or heat, like it's one word. So yeah. there's a book out there um, uh, that has one word to describe what they think is successful. And, and, and I, and I read the book and I thought, you know, okay, that word is an el- one element of why I became successful. It wasn't the, it was an, yeah. Yeah. and, and, and I can't make it, I can't distill it to a word because, but I will say that tenacity is an overarching and overriding sure. yeah. word to begin this thing because without the tenacity of your without the ability to be tenacious yet yeah, that you you will never go any further okay yeah. you will never go any yeah. further because the, the the road is so long and uh, and by the way even if the road isn't long um and you're lucky enough to win the lottery like when you're on american idol sure. this is what kills me about american idol Kid wins American Idol, right? Yep. 22-year-old kid. I want to thank my friends and my fans for sticking with me for 15 weeks. I almost fall off my chair. Like, <laughs> 15 weeks. Oh, my God. I'd like to thank my Instagram fans and my friends staying with me for 15 weeks. Uh, and, so, and I'm looking at this poor kid going, man, you know, like. You don't know nothing yet. You don't know nothing. And, you know, God, for, and you shouldn't have had this because, like, you know, because you just don't know what's. And, of course, all the stories about what happened to all those people follows exactly what I knew was going to happen to them. But anyway, yeah. but if they're tenacious, right. Keep going. If they're tenacious, they will figure out a way to have a career. Yeah. Cause that ain't a way to have a career. Okay. You got it. And I'm not jealous about it, but trust me, there are bands and, and people who somehow are in the right place, right time and get a, get a shot. However, a one hit wonder, a one shot wonder is one thing. When you have 30, 40 years of successes, that's when you have a career. Absolutely. That's the truth. You know, right. Michael Jackson may have had, you know, ABC here. He's got yeah. legacies. And Madonna's right. got legacies. And the Beatles had legacies. And Elvis had legacies. And they had hit after hit after hit after right. hit. After, and out and, 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 you know, and you learn all those lessons along the way. And yes. that's what happens. Like, so anyway, T for tenacity. So sure, I, I give you my, my, my pearls of wisdom on tenacity. And, 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 and my pearls of wisdom come down to, we were turned down more times in a bed sheet have, and have come back more times than Freddy Krueger, <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, Michael Myers. Sure. Yeah. And it's, and it's true. Yeah. I mean, we got, we got knocked down so many times that people said to me, how did you sustain that? There's reasons why we sustained it, but someone said, man, you're so smart. And I said, I don't know if I was smart or stupid. I didn't know if I was me. too stupid to like not recognize it's time that to quit or time yeah. to quit. Yeah. yeah Don't you yeah. think it's really time to quit? We, you know, we, we got, so I described the cynicism in the band, in the book about this one record executive, you know, who was going to fly over from England to see us. And we were mm-hmm. like, so at this point, uh, we were playing this gig upstate New York and the guy was supposed to fly in. And we said, you know, chances are the plane will blow up over the Atlantic, you know, some terrorists will blow up the plane. But even if the plane lands, I'm sure he'll get in a car crash on the way up to the venue. But if he doesn't, I'm sure the PA will fall on us in the middle of the set. And of course he gets there and, and, the, and we put on a great show and he comes to the dressing room and he goes, Oh, this is amazing. I'm signing you. And we don't react. We really aren't reacting. Wrong. Right. Okay, yeah. And he walks out and he says to one of my crew, cause I just told this man I'm signing him. And he goes, well, you don't understand what they've been through. And he walks out the door and I go five bucks says he doesn't make it back to the airport. 20 bucks says the plane gets blown up over the Atlantic. Yeah. This is, 
this is what happens. Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> you know, so it this does. is okay. So that's tenacity. At wisdom, yeah. That's an interesting thing because um, you have to be smart mm. to survive. You have to, you know, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You yes. have to, you have to know how to deal with people. Yes. Uh, we had an innate wisdom. I had innate wisdom, um, which I realized in a conversation I had with my father on the night that my mother died and we had uh, the funeral for her. Mm -hmm. And I was 22 and I was sitting in the living room with my dad. I looked at him and I said, um, you know, you and me, we don't really have a relationship. It's, it was me and mom. And, right. uh, and I'm thinking to myself, my father's not the kind of guy that's going into therapy, you know, to come, I mean, that's just not that generation's shtick, you know? Right. Right. And so I said, either I figure out a way to come to terms with my father and we agree on it, or we have no relationship. I didn't want to lose him. Right. And I said, look, if you forgive me for being the low life drug, high school dropout, drug dealing, and I forgive you for whipping me because he just take his belt down and whip me because a lot in that generation of fathers did. In fact, everybody in my band's fathers did that. It wasn't just my father. That's how they reacted to stuff. They weren't exactly emotionally stable people. You know, I don't know if your father ever gave it. was, you know, I know it's a reaction. I oftentimes those fathers that did that, parents that did that was more about their loss of control than what was that, what they're actually reacting to. A hundred percent, their loss of control. So I looked at myself, I'll forgive you for this. You forgive me for that. We'll shake hands. We'll never talk about it again. We'll just move forward. Yeah. And he shook hands with me. And, and we had a great 10 years. I mean, it wasn't the best. Sure. But we spoke almost every day, Amazing. talked about baseball, his trips on the road. I had a relationship with my dad. Right. And I wouldn't have had that. And, then, and you know, he wasn't going to be the one to suggest that to me. You get that? Yeah. It didn't come from him. So that kind of gave me a little feeling that I had some wisdom in the back yeah. of my head. And I was able to use that wisdom in many yep. areas of yep. the band's evolution, which again is spelled out in the book. Yep. The, insp the eye for inspiration. Well, here's the deal with inspiration. Inspiration is the fuel that you live on until you start making money on your dreams. That's it. It's as simple as that. That's it. You know, you're inspired. Yeah. You're inspired. You're willing to risk everything. You know as well as I do. That only works to a point. That's right. And if you can't convert that dream into money, you're more than likely going to change your dream. Yeah. I don't think that that's a misstatement. No. Nope. At all. Yep. So... You know, my inspiration was the Beatles, the Stones, the, you know, all that stuff with my inspiration. My dreams were built on my inspirations yes. and I was able to convert it ultimately into money. But, you know, it is a fuel. Yes. But listen, I don't know about in your business, but in my business back in the day, you kind of gave yourself to be 30. And then you went, if things aren't happening at 30. Right. Yeah. Give you deadlines. You give yourself deadlines. Right. Yeah. And how often your parents go, how many years are you going to be doing this before you get a real job? <laughs> We all, how many people hear that from their parents all the time? Absolutely, you know? absolutely. When you're getting a real job. So my parents gave up on preaching to me in the 60s, as most parents did in the 60s, because they kind of threw the white flag. You know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Your yeah. whole generation is like, right. And they all did. Yes. Just about all my friends' parents just kind of like, if you walk down the street, you see white flags hanging up. Thing. I give up. <laughs> these kids. Let's just hope they don't die. Okay, I give up. I give up. That's right, that's right. So, um... So, but in my head, I said, how long can I play in a rock band? You know, before, before I, I, I don't know where I'm going to live. Right. So I had a built-in time frame, and I had to, I had to make it. And I, and I discussed the inspiration. Yep. 
in the book and how long, and then the, the, the changeovers where the inspiration led to financial success and the real, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. led directly into stability. So there's a quote from Duke Ellington okay. that in the stability section. Yeah. And I found that quote late as I was working on the book and I, and I fell off my chair and I went, damn, he goes, he goes to keep a band together. You need a gimmick. My gimmick was to pay the band. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay, that's coming from Duke Ellington. He realized you want to keep a bunch of cats together, you got to pay them. You got to like make sure they can make a living. Otherwise, they're going to go somewhere else. They'll go into construction or they'll go to another band, right? That's right. I mean, or someone will pay them. Yeah. Yeah. And guys don't pay them or they pay them so little. You know, I I found a gimmick. The gimmick was pay the band. I'm reading this going, that's like the smartest thing i've ever seen you know so i put that quote in there because as obvious as it sounds it's the truth so i helped create a stable financial environment where we could make enough money doing what we're doing playing the bars and everybody could rely on salary so that our goals near and near girl near near a middle and far goals could be reached systematically gotcha and you also, you know, in, in the process of doing this, it's, you need this vision to be able to figure out because, you know, other people are relying on absolutely the ability to continue this machine. Yep. And that's why bands break up and marriages break up because people yep. don't do what they're supposed to do. In both. Yep. But, you know, and there's a different kinds of people in this world. Keith Richards has this quote that, that I love. Someone said to him, what's the difference between you and Mick Jagger? And he goes, well, Mick wakes up every morning and he thinks, what am I doing today? What am I doing next week? What am I doing in 10 weeks? Yep. What am I doing in 10 years? He goes, me, I wake up and go, I woke up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So you have to appreciate, there's some people who just wake up and go, I woke up this morning. Here, that's it, yeah, yeah. And, Cele- and they, celebrate and they, it. <laughs> yeah, and they may be very talented, but they don't have that vision it right. doesn't mean they shouldn't be part of your company sure. it just means sure. that they're not the ones that are going to be guiding the ship got you yep that's yep. all yep. that's all so if they're talented enough to keep on and in general you can't have five captains on a boat it's just insane that's so right. you, need, you need one captain and you need a crew that just believes yes in that yes and in my band we had two captains you know d was the creative captain mm-hmm. because he was the visionary he saw the music and the image and, and i was the financial captain and kept the boat Gotcha. Moving, right? So that's why that, that works. Yep. So stability is important in any company. Yes. And that's why, by the, by the way, all of these letters are applicable to everything. Yeah. To life in general. You that's know, correct. It's all applicable. They're applicable to every, I don't care if you're in a band or you're selling, you have a shoe company or, a, right. you know, you're, you're, you know, you're selling a better mousetrap. These are the secrets for companies to stay alive. That's right. Then I get to the E and the D, the, uh, the excellence and the dedication and discipline, rather. And, right. you know, people do not necessarily. Did we miss trust? Did we miss trust? Oh, I'm sorry, we did miss. We did. You're right. We, we got, got the yeah. first T, right? The yeah, second T was yeah, trust. That's right. And that's trust right. is important because, yeah. because your partners have to trust your vision. Yes. And that's, uh, thank you for saying that, and 100%. Right. So not only, um, not only is it a stability, but it's the trust in knowing that everyone who's, who you work with is doing the job they're supposed to do. You trust yeah. them to do what they have to do. Yeah. And you don't expect them to do things that they don't really have to do. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about the production side because Mendoza's doing that. And I have to worry right. about the other guitar player because right. Eddie is just a great player and he can cover for my stuff. So, yeah, we all, you know, sports 
uh, uh, sportsmen, sports people say, what happens between the lines yes. is the whole thing. Yes. And that, you know, when people talk about locker room talk, this I don't care about locker room talk. If I can rely on my people, yep. when I have to rely on my people between the lines, yes. that's the most important thing. Football players talk about it. Yes. If you can't trust your linemen, yes. or you can't trust your guards, or you can't, or you can't trust the wide receiver to do his job, the whole thing falls apart. That's right. So trusting your partners, trusting your people, if you don't have it, you got nothing either. Yep. Then you get to the excellence. And most people do not subscribe excellence and discipline to a rock and roll band. Mm. Let's be honest. Yeah, they don't necessarily think. That's, I get it. I get it. They, I get it. They, think, they think we made it because sex, drugs, rock and roll, fairy dust, and deal with the devil. Somehow we cut our fingers. The devil came down and said, I will make you a hit record and you're going to be owned by me. I mean, that's, you know, this is this myth that gets kind of given. I mean, it's such a bullshit myth. And it's yeah. And, and over the years, as we were shedding members of the band who, who couldn't be trusted, yep. who didn't have that discipline, gotcha. um, as you know, in the book, I talk about the fact that, you know, trying to find a straight band in my world is next to impossible. Well, yeah, that was surprising. I, I mean, it, it, it's because it's you'd think that there's, there's all types of individuals that come in for different reasons and not knowing that this pull or this vortex they get caught into, everyone is going to that hole almost. Yeah, so... What we say to people is, you're coming into our world. Yeah. These are the rules in our world. Yeah. And if you don't like them, find another world. Right. But if you're coming in here, we operate at this level, and and wow. um, it's a very high level. Yeah. And so uh, we don't like drugs. We don't like alcohol. So what happens is you get guys auditioning for the band, and um, the ones who are truthful, the one I respect the most, are the ones who go, "Why wow, you mean to tell me I can't get wasted?" And I go, "Well." You can do what you want to do on your own time, but if anything that you do gets in the way of us succeeding because you're getting over a hangover the night before, then no. That's right. That's really it. I mean, I'm not going to tell you you can't have a beer here and there. So, no. But but if, if, if the excesses of this business prevent you from being 100%, then you're not welcome into this company. And to the guys who said, fair enough, that's not me. Thank you for coming. I respect you for those who said, Oh, I'm totally straight and lied to me. <laughs> right. Got the gig and then wound up getting up and embarrassing the band. Right. They got fired. You, you know, you fire them. Yeah. Uh, people it. don't think that happens in rock and roll bands. Happens wow. in our band. Wow. Um, and, and, and we fired another band member for, for uh, you know, for racist and anti Semitic remarks because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have Jews in the band. We have we have uh, Hispanics in the band. I mean, sure. You know, and, and that and 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 there may be a window of familiarity that really old and close friends have, where they can say certain things. And you sure. know what I'm talking about. I do. I and do. it's a very tiny little window, and yes. it's a very tiny little opportunity, and it's always behind closed doors, yeah. and it's between best friends who may kid around. But yes. barring that. Right. There is no place for it. Exactly. Barring that, the intent behind the way it's said says everything you need to know about the person. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So yeah. when you interpret an attack by one band member against another in a vitriolic way that yep. calls into play racism or anti-Semitism, then you go, not here. Yeah. 
things that think things that people wouldn't attribute with a rock band that be that principled and have those core values that this is what we stand for and this is what we don't we, we don't subscribe to uh, again that's not attributed to a rock band jj not at all not at all uh, but it's not acceptable anywhere right you're I right mean, sir well let me put you this way it may be not in a company i'd ever work with gotcha okay so let's say yeah i'm sure it exists but not around an atmosphere you know, in my day, growing up in Manhattan in the 60s, all my friends were black, Spanish, Chinese, white, Jewish. All we cared about was who, what music did you listen to? What fucked up did you want to get? Yeah. And that was the sole, that was the sole criteria right. for joining this club, right? <laughs> right? So we never, ever, ever, I know this could sound naive. Nobody ever used racial epithets. Nobody yeah. ever did. It just wasn't part of who we were. And right. if my parents ever heard it, my father would literally pick you up and throw you out of the house because that's the kind of house I came from. Right. But I also don't want to sound like born again Christian movement. Like what I'm just saying is there was an inherent decency and a respect for all of our friends we all had for each other. And none of it was based on, on name calling ever. Yeah. Right. You were either yeah. an asshole or you were an asshole. You got that? <laughs> that's an equal opportunity. straightforward <laughs> there. I got it. <laughs> you know, that's an equal opportunity uh, deal there. You know, you're a fucking moron. Get at it like you know not you're more because you're this no you're just a moron that's right that's right you're just that, a, oh, i don't want to hang with you anymore that applies to everybody applies to everybody it's equal <laughs> opportunity offensiveness that's right so that's what i grew out of so i never you know uh, when i was first confronted with it in the band and, and we're playing in the suburbs i remember a friend of mine a really good friend of mine I, when I, I said to him that i heard the n-word used in a in a, in a discussion in a bar Okay. Shortly after I joined the band, now you have to remember, I've traveled the world, I've dealt yep. drugs, yep. all this crazy, but never, never, was never subjected to a certain level of ignorance. I remember saying to my friend, yeah, some guy used it, N-word. And he goes, don't you know the United States of America? I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, you got New York, California, and South Africa in between. That's how he, that's how he described it to me. And I said, it can't be that bad. Right. And it shouldn't be that bad. Right. And of course, there are plenty of great people yeah, I mean, that's absolutely. That. But you know, but you're confronted with this this crap. So anyway, um, so yeah, that was the weeding out process of, gotcha. Gotcha. of, of band members yep. amongst many things. You know, drugs, yep. alcohol, all yep. this other kind of stuff. We didn't have it. So so that was that was the, that's the trust issue, the excellence and the discipline. Man, if you go to the back of the book and you see how many dates we played, which I put in the back yes. of the book because yep. I always talk about it, and I said, you know what, I'm going to put it on paper the best I could piece yeah. together because I yeah. kept records of it. And there were like 2,500 nights and most of the nights were three, four, five sets a night. Wow. So we're like at 9,000 shows or something that uh, when you look at it, your eyes peel. And I yeah. said, that's dedication. You know, so that's, so the thing is the excellence that we, that we attained was were attained through the discipline of playing those shows. Yeah. Night after night, after night, after night, after night. And I talk about the boredom of excellence because it sucks to learn how to be great, but imagine any, Gold medalists in the Olympics, what makes them a gold medalist? They're up at four o'clock in the morning. That's working hard. You're not up at 4 a.m. I'm not, but they are. Yeah. That's why they've got the gold medal. That's you look right. at the first chair in the Philharmonic, why is that person first chair? Because that person's up at four o'clock in the morning, playing right. nine hours a day. Right. Yeah. I, there's no, there's no way getting around that you have to do something thousands and thousands and thousands of times to get good at something. Yeah. And we did. And that made us bulletproof. Because when you do something thousands of times, yeah. you are confronted with every possible 
thing that could go wrong. Yep. Yep. And you can react to it. That's right. That's right. And, and when you're playing in front of a hundred thousand people, when a promoter hires a band and you're a headliner and you're playing a festival and you see there's 30 bands on the bill on the top, yep. there's always us or ACDC or Judas Priest or yep. Iron Maiden or Guns N' Roses. One has to know that the promoter is trusting you with 100,000 people. And if you suck yeah. in front of 100,000 people, you just, not, you just don't only do damage to you, you do damage to the event because then it goes, I went to see him and they suck, right? And then people go, right. don't go back next year. That's correct. You can't do that. That's right. So the only way you get great is to practice getting great. Over and, and over and over, over and the over. Tub- and the tub- tub- of repetition, right? Repetition. Over and over again. Boredom yeah. of excellence, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, you do it. You know, there was nights I used to come home. I go, man, how many more nights? How many more days? How many more sets? How many more? <laughs> you know, but you know what's that cliche that, uh, they say that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Result. I don't agree with that. Mm. I think that that's not true. I think that repetition, you get better, but you don't even know you're getting better. If you follow me, it's so incrementally tiny. Yes. 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 You, know, you may say to yourself, for example, on any given night, I hit a wrong chord in that particular song and you'll go, I'm not going to do that tomorrow. So that's the lesson you learned. That's right. That night. That's right. Okay. Or the lighting rig didn't, hit a spotlight at a certain point in a certain song, you tell the light guy to make sure it doesn't happen yes. the next night. Yes. And if you're not smart enough to learn, even incrementally, yes. then, you're, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah. But you know what? You wouldn't be doing it if you right. this long if you weren't going right. to take lessons. That's right. Well, you've, 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 you've wasted a lesson if you've missed the opportunity, right? One, one, I couldn't have said it better. You've yeah. wasted a lesson. That's right. Yeah. Every mistake should be a lesson. Yeah. And what not to do next time. Like I say to people, I don't repeat the same mistakes. I make new ones all the time. <laughs> I, got I find new ways to fuck up, but I won't do the I won't do the old one. So yeah, yeah. So what the book really does is it kind of takes you into my mind of how and and I always say, like the guys in the band, if they wasn't for them, I, I wouldn't be talking to you. If yeah. D didn't write these songs, yeah. you and I wouldn't be talking. Yeah, 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 that's right. And and, and I think this, that speaks to collaboration, which is something that you value heavily, right? I mean, obviously, if you're in a, in a band, you, you, you have to know how to collaborate. But but to, to recognize the strengths in individuals, what they can do, you know, there's not one person that does it all, right? And so you need everyone to come together to make it work. Yeah, and, and so I recognize that. You know, Ahmed Erdogan, the chairman of Atlantic Records, said something to me one night we're having dinner and I just, and I say this in the book, you know, I, I said, how do you go from Coltrane? His love was jazz. So he started out signing jazz artists, Ornette Coleman, Coltrane, Milt Jackson, all these I'm not a jazz person, but his love of jazz got him and his brother to start Atlantic Records. Yeah. And, you know, time goes on and then, you know, he signs Benny King and the Drifters has big hits and then he, you know, and he goes on to the coasters and he goes on and then it's eventually, uh, you know, it, it, it's Crosby, Stills and Nash and Led Zeppelin and ACDC and, and of course, and today, right? It's a legacy. Yeah. And I said, how did you do, how do you hear that? And he goes, I don't hear that. He goes, if I had a record label built on what I loved, I'd be broke. It's exactly yeah. what he said to oh, me. He wow. said, I had to bring people in who knew, who heard things I didn't hear. Right. I had to trust them yeah. that they heard things I didn't hear. And then he said this thing. And he said, success is so much easier if you don't mind who gets the credit. And I went, yeah. wow, my that is sublimating your ego for a greater cause. Yeah. So I've sublimated my ego a lot 
Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. The piece, JJ, that 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 I absolutely loved um, is, is you talked about your transformation into a businessman and understanding the business side of things is not just you know rock and roller and, and that and 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 I, and I thought that was a true significant to what because as you sort of detailed and explained that that transformation and how significant that was and um, you, it's something you needed to do right yeah and it's something that happened and I didn't even know it was happening mm. which is part of what I say in the book you know these transitions occur I didn't wake up month well I did wake up after failed management on a number of occasions, I said, nobody, I can't get any worse than these guys. But I was scared because I had to talk to guys that, you know, like bar owners and, you know, for better or worse, you know, you, you all the myths you hear about, you know, kind of people they are yeah. and, and, and agents I didn't know. And I had to discern uh, who was and who wasn't. And in the beginning, you always get lied to. And, yep. you know, the, the only, you're only, guarantees that you become so successful that they have to tell you the truth because they need you more than you need them. And that's really the key in life. You know, if you are needed more than somebody needs you, then you have the upper hand and you can pretty much, you know, you, you can run the table. And so we had to become, we had to become very powerful, but I had instinctually, uh, I knew what I had to do, but I also had an agent named Kevin Brenner, who was my mentor in the clubs, who was very powerful, can make or break a band. And when he decided that we were a band that was worth his time, that became an interesting thing because then I decided to learn as much as I could. I learned as much as I could from him because yeah. I want to know what the secrets were yeah. about this world I was in. Once we figured out the world we were in and we became the biggest man in the world, the next jump to the, to the big time, that brought in bigger challenges. Yes. You know, yes. and bigger people. Right. And bigger because the money is <laughs> bigger, bigger yes. and the egos are bigger. Yes. And the, the, the mountaintop is higher and the valley is deep, yes. is deeper. Yes. And I talk about being an entrepreneur and about why entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. And, and the book begins with a yeah. discussion between me and my brother. My brother's saying he yes. doesn't understand how I run my life. I don't understand, you know. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, I was a school teacher. I had a pretty even existence. And then I retired and became a teacher again and retired. And he says, well, you, you know, you started a drug dealer and then you go here and then the band, blah, 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 and then you climb to the top and the band goes broke. And then you come back with this. And then yep. the second wife leaves you. And, and he's telling me this and I'm listening and I'm going, Jesus Christ. I didn't, <laughs> man, that's a, a lie. I remember <laughs> I, I went, wow. And he goes, how do you do it? And I went, you know, man, I was born with asbestos underwear. Mm. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I could take the heat and, and I'm willing to take the risks for, for bigness and risk the big fall. And that's what entrepreneurs do. Right. They take big risks. And I said to my brother, just because you're not doesn't mean you're any better or that's worse right. than me. We're that's just right. two different people. That's right. You know, the world needs plumbers. The world needs electricians. The yeah. world needs teachers. That's God right. knows those jobs may be way more important than anything else we do. That's right. I mean, who the hell cares about a baseball star? You know, your, your house doesn't have power. You need a goddamn electrician who knows that's what the hell he's right. doing. Let's, let's be real here. That's and right. that's a scary thing, especially in this economy these days, because service is such an important Absolutely. ability. Nurses, doctors, yeah. those are the kind of people that interact. We live in this fake stardom that people uh, imbue with so much 
power when in fact the teachers are the most powerful. Right. And my yeah. brother was a great teacher. And right. you know, I run into people all the time because I live in New York City mm -hmm. and they go, Mr. Segal was your teacher. He was a great teacher. And I went, what a legacy to have. Yeah. You know, I mean, what's my legacy? I used to say to my brother, my job is to undo in two hours everything you've done in eight during the day. <laughs> well, you know something? Everyone always remembers that great teacher, right? You ask anyone, their favorite teacher, everyone always has one. They can all, and, and they can remember why, what they did, and a difference that they made. So you're absolutely right. You know, there is a place for everyone. Yeah. No question. Yeah, there is a, there is a place for everybody. And, and teachers are so important. And my brother was a great teacher and, and we're, we're very, very different. Yeah. We're really different people that in that respect. And I've always taken, I've always taken a chance. And then writing this book, you take a chance too, yeah. because you know, you put yeah. your book out there. Absolutely. Go, you know, yeah. Good, bad, hit, not a hit. I mean, yeah. but I had felt the story had to be told. Yeah, the fact no. that you read it and you yeah. gleaned from it is so important. It is. No, and, and, and so again, I commend you, JJ, for, for writing the book and, and, and laying the lessons out that you did. Um, uh, one last thing I want to sort of ask you about, when you sort of look at your story, uh, and, and you know, I would imagine when you talk to some of your peers in the industry, right, and you exchange stories, there, there's some commonalities, but it also feels like going through your story, there's some uniquenesses as well. Um, is, is, when, when you sort of do that comparison to some of your, your peers, do, do you see those uniquenesses about your story and others or, 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 or just, yeah, I'm just curious about that. I think this Twisted story is one of the most unique stories in, in the music business. I don't see too much uh, equation with other bands. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't, um, look, everyone's life is like a snowflake. You know, you peel it back and it's unique and it's in. Yeah. But I've always said to everybody in the world has a story, but most people just shouldn't tell it because you know, it's not that interesting. And it's very narcissistic and selfish <laughs> of me. But, but um, I, I, I know that our story is totally different. I know that there's no story like that. I yeah. know it because I've read stories of these other bands. And when you watch these shows about how bands rise and fall apart, and drugs, alcohol, blah, blah, yeah. ours was a whole different story. I mean, we had our issues, but it wasn't because of that. We had a different pathway. You know, we, we became great. We fell apart. We came back again. We had another, we had four lives. People don't understand. We had the lives in the bars that was, that lasted 10 years. We had the lives of video stars and record labels. Yeah. That was five years. Then we had 12 years of breakup in which all of us had to go figure out a way to survive. Uh, you know, and I was broke. He was broke. Uh, we were sued. Uh, yep. We had to file bankruptcy. It's in the book, you know, um, I talked about how we confronted it, you know, and, and I knew what was coming, which is another thing to talk about wisdom. You know, there's, there's two different kinds of, of chaos in your life. There's proactive and reactive and, and being reactive, being proactive is better than being reactive. Reactive is like, I don't know what's going on. It's all happening to me and I can't respond. Proactive means you kind of know what's about to come around the corner and you kind of put the flag yep. jacket on, you know, you put the seatbelt yep. on yourself before you save your kid. Yep. And I talk about the difference. It's like football. Football has, Defense and offense, the offense always knows two seconds before the defense. So they always have the edge. Yes. It's the same thing in life, too. It's understanding it's understanding crises, challenges, catastrophes. Yes. And that's why I do business motivational speaking, because I explain this to people. And they go, oh, yep. yeah, I never thought about that. But the ability to anticipate bad things happening or anything happening. So anyway, that's just like a general. When I talk to other bands, they may go through some kind of similarity, but they can't articulate it this way. Gotcha. This was a clear articulation in business terms about success for a band, which does not normally go with a band. 
So I'm laying it out to you that this is how it happened. And it's not about the music per se. Mm-hmm. He wrote the music, it's wonderful. And that's also without the music, there's nothing. But without this underneath it, you would have never heard the music. So that's, that's really what makes the story unique. And, yeah. and I know it's unique enough because people tell me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's that twisted, twisted method that shined through and everything. And, and uh, again, great job on the book. I'd be remiss if I didn't, uh, uh, you know, mention the fact that I remember, I remember the very first time when I saw, you know, we're not going to take it video. And, uh, you know, watching that father kind of get foamed in the mouth because he was angry with his son. What are you going to do when he's like, I'm going to rock? Uh, you know, those are sort of the memories that you sort of reflect on. You go, man, that was a great time. And so I just want to say thank you, uh, certainly for, for, you know, the time today here for certain uh but writing the stories uh your book uh and sharing the man which you have and uh jj man thank you and congratulations on a job well done thank you so the book is twisted is twisted business it's out now on rosetta it's available on rosetta books it's available on amazon i have a i also have a web web excuse me a podcast doesn't yep. every human being have a podcast at this point the french connection. um it's the jj french connection yeah, uh, yeah. beyond the music in which i have authors writers you know i kind of expand beyond what you think i had enough i should have i have plenty of musicians but i cover all my interests on that too yep. so when people say to me you know like here's the one thing about our you know our, the business that we're in which is the entertainment business um i i say that nobody knows reinvention more than people in the entertainment business because we're confronted with having to reinvent ourselves every day because the public is demanding something and nothing is more indicative of, uh, of that than you're sitting down with someone who's doing an interview and you have a hit record and they go, Oh, we're at JJ French. They hungry. It's doing great. So what's next? What's next? (laughs) I just freaking enjoy the next five minutes. (laughs) <laughs> you know can i just give me a break yeah. man like let me just can i smell the rose just for like you know i will deal with the next you know uh, so uh right now i'm smelling the roses there you go i'm I've, enjoying this right now and being on this show is one of them yeah, thank well, you for having well thank you and you deserve to to enjoy your time and uh to our listeners uh where can we send them if they want to learn more about you and your, your book or well, first of all, if you want to send me an email to me directly. Okay. I answer emails, which is askjj at J-Y-J-Y-T-S. I twisted askjjts yeah. at g- gmail, and I will answer you. Amazing. But, you know, uh, there, there's twistedsisters.com, there's jjfrench.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on everything. You know, I'm on Cameo if you want a personal uh, note for me, uh, happy birthday wishes, whatever. We're doing all of that. So we covered the same social media uh, areas everybody else does. People want to yeah. get a hold of it seasonally enough. But yeah, jj.com, twistedsister.com, um, at, at JJ French on Twitter, at JJ French. It's always J Y J Y. And when you, when you go on to Spotify or Apple or Podcast One for my podcast, it's yeah. JJ French Connection. It's J A Y J A Y F R E N C H. And the book on Amazon is easily purchased. Just go to Amazon, put JJ French, JYJY, it'll take you right to the book. And Amazing. you can get your copy and you'll, you'll know all the you'll know all the secrets. And there you go. There you go. Well, Jay, JJ, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for being on the Dish Living Podcast and all the best, my friend. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Back we are here on the podcast and I can't say enough about JJ being here and I really want to thank you again for the time as well as the insight. Uh, it was awesome and I really appreciated uh, the lessons and, and wanted to say thank you once again 
for being here on the Audacious Learn podcast for such a good chat. Uh, you know, JJ left us with so much to think about. But if there's just one thing that I take from my conversation with him, it would be this. The task of reinventing yourself uh, isn't easy, but reinvention or learning skills or adapting to new situations is key to both our personal and professional success. Reinventing ourselves is a means to rediscover fulfillment, purpose, meaning, and a whole new direction. And all we've got to do is step up and take that challenge. And when we do, we will head off in a whole new world. And uh, an expression that we heard a lot of in the last 18 months is pivot. So the question is whether you're reinventing or pivoting yourself, are you ready to take the leap? Hey, listen, if you haven't registered for email notifications of the podcast, please know that you can do so simply by heading over to bestaudaciouslife.com. All you've got to do is enter in your email address and you'll be immediately alerted every time there is new content that comes out. We've come to the end of another edition of the Audacious Living Podcast and uh, sending my thanks as always to our amazing listeners and and all you lovers of audaciousness. Uh, It's your support uh, and this ongoing support in such a tremendous way is what keeps the things going and I really, really appreciate uh, all the support, whether it's the likes, the the DMs, the personal messages, uh, the five-star ratings, um, the comments, it's all, all super appreciated and I say thank you. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, and show love to one another. You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.